Off the Ball on News Talk. Thanks to Air. Catch all the sports you love free on the Air Sport Pack with Air Broadband. Let me tell you a story about a legend. A legend that almost never was. Came from nowhere. His daddy made him a quarterback but never let him throw. Wasn't recruited for college. I really think I could play. They gave me a shot, a shot. Became a star anyway. And Pat shows some cool on this one. Finding Chris McGee for the touchdown touchdown. Tell you a story about a legend who almost died on the highway. Had half his guts taken out. Got drafted anyway. Atlanta has selected Brett Favor. Failed in Atlanta. I was a traveling roadshow in Atlanta. Got traded. We're in the world of Green Bay. I couldn't point to it on the map. Found a home. Became the best football player on the planet. No one does it better than Red There you are. That is uh, Billy Bob Thornton, no less, doing the voice voiceover on the uh, on a 2006 NFL Films documentary on, of course, Brett Favre. The hook for this, in many ways, was uh, we're looking over at Tom Brady in his 40s, and he's seen off Jimmy Garoppolo for the time being. Anyway, well, Jimmy's gone, but he's seen off. Uh, mortality, sporting mortality for the time being. Uh, Brett Favre is a man who had to fight, uh, well, similar issues in his career in some respects to Brady, although an entirely different character. To that end, we have Jeff Perlman with us, New York Times best-selling author. He's been on the show before a few times. And he has written the book on Favre, Gunslinger, The Remarkable, Improbable and Iconic Life of Brett Favre. Jeff, you're very welcome. Can you beat Billy Bob Thornton? I definitely cannot. I I couldn't, uh, can't touch that. That's really good. I always love that. I actually love that clip, and I think he was really good at that. Yeah. So, um, Brett Favre, we're talking about a fairly remarkable uh, career, and you've written a remarkable book. As I understand it, you spoke to uh, hundreds of people, uh, hundreds of interviews. Mm-hmm. You never quite got Favre himself. He's not a man uh, overly keen on interviews. No, I got it. was weird. I've never had this happen. I got his mom, got his aunts, got his uncles, got his siblings. You know, tons of friends. I interviewed, I don't know, like 500 people for this book. Mm. And I kept trying to get Brett. You know, I sent him other books I wrote, and I would, you know, write him letters. And finally, one day, I was in Florida, and I got a text from him. And he basically said, you know what? Um, I don't want to do this. If I'm going to tell my, if anyone's going to tell my story, it's just going to be me. Blah, blah, blah. I've kind of settled into my life, and I want to live it. And I thought, that's, totally, that's of course. I mean, he doesn't know me anything, mm. you know, like, and, and, so, yeah, but that doesn't take away from, to me from who he was and what, what his career was. What was your perception of Favre before you started writing the book and did that change? I just didn't know very much about him. You know, I knew, like, the thing is, like, in sports, we are, it's almost like that documentary you just played. Like, we know the basics. Mm. So we always hear the basics, and then we hear those stories over and over again. So, like, here in America, he was always known as a gunslinger. He was a tough guy. Um you know, he played through pain. He had a battle with painkillers. He overcame it. Um, so you heard that story a lot, and that's kind of what I knew uh, going in. And then you know, there's just a, there's a lot more to his story. He had a really complicated relationship with his father. You know, his father was kind of the, the win at all costs, do whatever it takes. This is about winning and nothing else, you know, kind of dad. Um, he, was a, he was a complicated husband, Brett was, you know, loved his wife on his wife incessantly, drank way too much in Green Bay, you know, had to kind of learn how to live his life. But I like Moses. He, he did so many ups and downs in his life, and he, he you know, was a 
Wow, stallion as a player. And now here he is approaching 50, and his daughter is a, is, a, is a college volleyball player at the University of Southern Miss where he went to school. And he's just this volleyball dad who mm-hmm. competes in triathlons and has this very quiet, sort of tranquil life that you probably wouldn't have predicted uh, from his career. Mm. And did his marriage survive the incessant cheating? Amazingly. It's the one thing I've never fully understood. I mean, he was awful to his wife for years and years, and she stuck by him and stuck by him. And, you know, there's a long history, sure you see it there too, of, of athletes, you know, not treating their wives the best mm. uh, as far as infidelity. And they stay oftentimes, you know, for the money and the fame and the lifestyle. But she didn't really have the, uh, the lifestyle wasn't that big. I mean, she's still living in Mississippi, you know, um, raising their kids. So I think she stayed genuinely out of love uh, for Brett and seeing the man that she really thought he could be. I know I, if I were in her shoes, I would have never stayed. So yeah. she deserves credit for that. Yeah. And like, do you broach that subject uh, with her much in the process of the interview? Do you, does she give an answer or is it is it difficult terrain to navigate? She's never really talked about that at length. Yeah. So, you know, some things are just awkward. <laughs> you know, some things yeah. are just awkward and Talking about the infidelity, the excuse me, repeated infidelities of your husband—that's a toughie. Yeah, I can appreciate that. So, I mean, we got some snippets of the story there. His father—you mentioned a win-at-all-cost father, Billy Bob—said uh, who wouldn't let him throw. Um, he seemed to be on a team with uh, a great running team, so it's not like uh, his brilliant arm was given license to unleash at that level. Like. I liken him to Brady, but he's so different to Brady, clearly. Uh, he's a far more uh, flawed uh, character in, in, in obvious ways. Like even um, when he eventually got to Southern Mississippi, uh, he started freshman year seven-string quarterback. Eventually, he took over the starting position in the third game of the year. Uh, despite suffering a hangover from the night before and vomiting during warm-ups, he led them to a come-from-behind victory with two touchdown passes. So uh, alcohol was in his life for sure before Green Bay. Wait, so here's the thing. The Brady comparison only works, I think, in two areas. Number one, they lasted a long time, like far longer than the average NFL quarterback. They both played into the 40s. Um, and they were relatively unknown. You know, Brady was a backup at Michigan, and he was a six-round draft pick. Mm. Um, Favre played for his dad at high school, in, in tiny school in the Kill, Mississippi. And his dad was a very old-school coach, set in his ways. And his ways were, we're going to run the ball, we're going to run the ball, we're going to run the ball. So Favre rarely in high school. I mean, he would throw four or five times a game. And it's kind of funny because his dad was known as this really smart football guy, but you had this kid with this nuclear-powered arm and he never used it. So when Favre was a, uh, was a senior in high school, nobody was recruiting him. I mean, nobody at all. Mm. And he just really got lucky. Uh, he went to the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, not a big football school. And the only reason they offered him a scholarship is because they, uh, they hired a coach very late in the recruiting process and his area where he had to recruit players was the Gulf coast of Mississippi where Favre lived and all the good players were signed up already. And this one sort of opposing coach said, well, there's this kid, there's this kid down at the kill. He doesn't throw very often, but I've seen him warm up and his arm is amazing. So this guy goes down and finds him and he has one scholarship left and he has to beg the head coach at Southern Miss. He's like, well, we can make him a linebacker. He's a big kid. So the only reason he got a college scholarship is because this one coach saw him. Otherwise, he would be just some guy. He really would. He would just be some guy in the world. You know, he got very lucky slash unlucky in that regard because his dad didn't see what he had and his coach found him anyway. Yeah. 
uh, the margins between unbelievable success and incredible order, ordinariness are are sometimes so fine it's scary uh, to think about. Oh yeah, uh, we really shouldn't beat ourselves up when we're the ordinary guys. Um, so hey, yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't. Speak you're, for yourself. You're, you're a New York Times <laughs> best-selling author. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm ordinary too. So um, he's drafted by the Atlanta Falcons in 1991. A second round. He's uh, 33rd overall pick in the 91 NFL draft and Jerry Glanville the head coach at Atlanta uh, is no fan of Favre he says it would uh, take a plane crash for him to put uh, Favre in the game so he's not the first or last guy to miss some talent for sure and the Packers come calling yeah um, the finding is you know Favre was a joke like the coach was actually right Favre was drinking he was overweight he missed the team picture he was just a disaster <laughs> and um the Packers general manager was a guy named Ron Wolf, and Wolf had scouted him in college and really liked him. And the Falcons coach, Jerry Glanville, just wanted to get rid of him. He was like, get what you can get for him. And they, uh, the Packers had two first-round picks that year, so they traded one to Atlanta. And the Falcons thought they were, they got a steal with that. They couldn't believe their good fortune. So he goes to Green Bay, and he's a backup. He's kind of still very unknown. And the starter, Don Mikowski, gets hurt in the game. Favre comes in. He's Brett Favre. You know, <laughs> magical, never sits again. I mean, he just, think about the guy, like, I always say this, he's not the best quarterback in NFL history. He's probably not in the top 10. He made a ton of stupid throws. Uh, he had horrible judgment at some points. A um, lot of interceptions, a ton of interceptions. But he was ridiculously exciting. He played really well in the clutch most of the time. Fans came to see him. You know, he was like someone you wanted to see play. Mm. So, He's not even close to Brady. Like Brady's a million times better. Peyton Manning, significantly better. Aaron Rodgers of the Packers, probably a better quarterback. But I don't think any of them had the pizzazz and the dazzle of Favre, and that's what makes him so. He's the best, he's the most entertaining, great football player of my lifetime. Is he popular with teammates? Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, but look, the thing is, he's really interesting. You know, he was a, he was a white guy from Mississippi, so he walks into a locker room and sort of a, the African-American teammates are going to have their ideas of who this guy is, but you know, he's really into rap music, you know, and he like, he'll hang out with the guys who go hunting and he'll hang out with the guys and, and talk hip hop and he'll play cards in the corners. And he was just this guy who didn't, he didn't really think about color much. He didn't really think about class much. He was just this guy who wanted to hang out with his buddies. Um, he really was unique, really, really unique. He does lots of amazing things. Three MVPs, um, his first one in 1995, uh, two Super Bowls, it wins one of them in uh, 96. Mm-hmm. You talk about the excitement, the clutch. Like if you're talking about a guy that's resonating with people, maybe in a way that Brady doesn't in some respects, that, that really uh, the human guy, the failings. Like one of the, the those moments you talk about, which fans probably remember, is December 21st, 03, where his father, Irvin, dies. And the next night, Monday Night Football, live on TV, huge audience, Favre comes out and uh, the Packers are still right in the hunt for the playoffs and he plays uh, the Raiders and it's one of the best games of his career. We have some commentary here just to give people a sense. He passes for uh, four touchdowns in the first half at nearly 400 yards uh, in total. He's awesome 24 hours after his dad dies. I was so nervous before the game. I was the most nervous I've ever been in the game. When they call out the offense tonight at Oakland, I got a standing ovation from the fans. That doesn't happen. 
under the perfect circumstances, I've never been able to do what I've done in that game. Barb takes, looks to throw. Guns the left side of the end zone, and it's wow. diving grab caught in the corner of the end zone. What a throw by Brett Farr. Bootlegs right, throws the right side Got of the end zone. Got Walker, touchdown! <laughs> Back to the little Farr. It is he rainbows deep down the middle, going for Walker. Leaping grab end zone, touchdown! Favre quickly dumps it off right side, and he's got David Martin to the end zone. Touchdown! Brett Favre is on fire tonight. I was so full of emotion. I wished I could be on the sidelines, just telling him after every play what a great job he did, and your dad's watching. America's most well-known number four is thrown for four touchdown passes in one half of play. It was so emotional, but it was so special. I mean, it was like, you know, the entire game was specifically for his dad. You watched the game, and it was like, this is like a movie. How is this happening? Is it luck? Is it his teammates making plays for him? No, you know what? It might be some of that, but you know what? It's Brett Favre. Mm. I guess you probably remember watching that game. I do, actually. And um, I think that was kind of cool. If you actually watch the game, so he put up these really great numbers, but um, the receivers, his his wide receivers were making just these ridiculous catches. You know, Favre was chucking them up. They were just going up and going up and going up, and, and there was a before the game. One of the one of the wide receivers said to everyone, he gathered them all around me. He said, "Nothing hits the ground today. Nothing hits the ground today." So you talk about how beloved he was. Like those guys played for him that game. You know, that's kind of the beauty of it. Like they they just really wanted it for him, and kind of gave him that that gift. What about as he ages? You know, I was kind of mentioning the hook here is uh, the Brady situation and seeing off Jimmy Garoppolo and. Aaron Rodgers will ultimately come on the scene uh, for Brett Favre. How does he perform post that Super Bowl win into his uh, late thirties, forties? Um, you know, he was he was never as good. I mean, he had those three MVP seasons where he was at his best, and then he was a little more up and down, up and down. And then they drafted Aaron Rodgers because they had a chance to get a really good quarterback. And and you know, Favre was heading into his late thirties. He was kind of more increasingly erratic. Uh, he wasn't quite the same teammate he'd been. He wasn't as inclusive. You know, it's, it's, it gets harder and harder to relate to your 22-year-old teammates when you're 35, 36. Mm. Mm. Um, and he was not very good to Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Aaron Rodgers came along, and, and Favre really wanted nothing to do with it. You know, it, and that's not as uncommon as people think in sports. Like, people think that, you know, it's all just one big family. But they just, they just brought you a replacement. They literally brought in a guy who was here to replace you. So it would be a little weird to actually be like, hey, let me help you out. Let me help you take my job. Yeah. He definitely did not. Yeah. How does it end with, with Green Bay behind the scenes? Um, badly. He, uh, he decides to retire. You know, he kept toying with retirement, toying with retirement. He finally decides. He holds a press conference. Uh, Packers say, okay, great. We're moving on. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is our starter. And then Favre sort of says, mm, I think I want to come back. And the Packers say, well, we, we don't really want you back. Right. And it gets really awkward and really ugly. And then he says he's willing to be traded, but it has to be to, I think it was Detroit or Chicago, teams in their division, and, or Minnesota. And they were like, well, we're not trading you to our rivals. So they ended up trading him to the Jets, mm. where he did not want to go. Mm. He spent one year in New York, a very weird fit, and then ended up in Minnesota for two seasons. Mm. And did going to Minnesota tank the relationship uh, with the fans in the area, or is, is, is Brett Favre just beyond um, any kind of criticism in the Wisconsin area? 
Oh, no, they hated him. When he went to Minnesota, they held a funeral in Green Bay. They held a fake funeral and put a, a dummy in a casket wearing a number four Favre jersey. I mean, they felt it was pick, I don't know, whatever your greatest rivalry is there. Imagine going from one team to the other. That's okay. exactly what he did. And he did it. There's a little pettiness to it. He wanted revenge. He thought the Packers did him wrong. Mm. He wanted to shove it up their, up their rears. And, and he had one great year in Minnesota where he almost took him to Super Bowl. And then his last season was just a disaster. Mm. That was it. And I wonder what would happen, to, or maybe it has happened, if he um, if he was uh, brought out at halftime in a, in a Packers game to wave to the crowd. Have they kind of forgiven the Minnesota thing as a, an understandable blip? Oh, uh, 100%. Does... Yeah, that's all gone. No, forgiven, forgiven. Yeah. He's been back. It's been great. He's, you know, you know, it's kind of funny. Athletes retire. Athletes, maybe they'll spend another year with, they'll spend like one of the last years with a different team. And people always say, this hurting his legacy. Or if a guy who usually bats, you know, 300 in baseball is hitting 200 his last year and he's slow and fat. People say, oh, is this damaging his legacy? I think at the end of the day, we generally remember athletes for their greatest times, not for their lowest. Yeah. Uh, the other thing him and Brady have in common is that you know it's not like Brady is um, paving the way f- or did pave the way for Jimmy Garoppolo uh, either. I mean that Rogers thing. There's probably a, a real parallel there as well. Uh, how would you compare the perception of Brett Favre with uh, Brady in uh, amongst American sports fans? Um, I think so. Brady is hated by a lot of people, but yeah. I've never understood why. Um, I mean, I guess the, the cheating allegations a little bit. Maybe it's because he's he's a really good-looking guy. He's married to a supermodel. He's very wealthy. You know all that stuff. Yeah. Um, Is he touch robotic? A touch robotic though. I don't find him robotic. I actually like Brady. I have no no problem with Tom Brady. Mm. I mean, he's amazing. I mean, to me, at the end of the day, like, what do you owe me? You don't owe me any. Tom Brady doesn't owe me a thing. Mm. You know, I I turn on the TV on Sundays. I watch him play. It's fun. The thing about Favre was he was just much more human. So he wasn't robotic. He was an anti-robot. He was. You felt like you knew him. He was the guy at the end of the bar hmm. drinking with you. Hmm. So when you talk about universal, who's a more beloved player, universally, it would be far by a mile. Yeah. And is he, um, is he an entertaining kind of a guy? You know what I mean? Like if you strip away the battles with alcohol, the, the car crash, and he has to get half his intestine removed, and you know there's battles with, with, with Vicodin and various things. If he, if he was to sit there on a TV show, uh, talk show and you, you strip away that kind of superficial stuff, which is uh, superficially cool, mm-hmm. is he an engaging character? Like is he, is he an interesting person? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would say yes. I mean, the thing is like, People are, always, people are always a little disappointed by athletes because they, they spend almost all their life being robotic and doing the same thing week after week and day after day. So I'm not saying, like, he's not going to be able to talk to you about Freud. Yeah. He's not probably not going to be able to break down the North Korean nuclear threat. Yeah. But if you just want to hang out with a guy and talk fishing and football and uh, crazy times in Green Bay or Mississippi, I think he, he's great. I mean, nobody, very few people have anything bad to say about him just as a guy to hang out with. You know, people enjoy his company. He asks questions. He's inquisitive, you know. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. Um, we're talking here with Jeff Perlman, who's written the book on Brett Favre, Gunslinger, The Remarkable, Improbable, and Iconic Life of Brett Favre. Uh, how do you see uh, the 2018 Super Bowl shaping up then? I think uh, New England is going to be back because mm. they're always back. Mm. And uh, probably Minnesota. And it'll probably be a crappy game. I just think New England is so far superior to everyone else around. And I mean, Brady's going to be Brady's going to win another MVP this year. It's actually there was a while when it was a real debate: who's the best quarterback in football history? Is it Peyton Manning? Is it Tom Brady? Uh, you know, they're different. Different Joe Montana. Mm. But it's 
clearly, clearly Brady at this point. He's just so far superior. His career has been unparalleled. So, and he's still playing at a very high level. Yeah. Uh, even a quote from uh, Favre, I never thought I'd say somebody was better than Joe Montana. Uh, he's always been the best I've seen, but Tom has surpassed that. So uh, you're in good company on that yep. front. Uh, listen, really interesting yeah, stuff. Thanks so much, Jeff. All right, thanks for having me. Off the Ball on News Talk. Thanks to AIR. Catch all the sports you love free on the AIR Sport Pack with AIR Broadband.